Welcome to Soundstage Insider, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the film and television industry. We're bringing you the visionary directors and producers, the talented cinematographers, editors, sound designers, and more who really make the magic happen. So let's go beyond the red carpet and discover a fascinating world of behind-the-scenes talent. Hello there, welcome back to the Soundstage Insider podcast. My name is Jamie, and thank you for joining us on a special surprise episode. If you're listening to this on the day of release, happy Thanksgiving. And if not, happy whatever other day it is to you. Today, we are talking to cinematographer Linus Sandgren. He is a Swedish cinematographer, and he has worked on some incredible projects. He is an Academy Award winner and has shot projects such as Babylon, La La Land, First Man, No Time to Die, and the film we're talking about today, Saltburn. Now, of course, I spoke to Susie Davies and Charlotte Durix the other day from Saltburn. They were set decorator and production designer on that film. And to continue the visual story here, we're talking to cinematographer Linus today about his work on Saltburn. And it is a visually stimulating film let me tell you so uh couldn't have been a more perfect person to talk to about this stuff so i will try and keep this brief so we can get straight into the interview this is a very salt burn heavy week so if you're really into this movie this is the week for you not only do we have our other salt burn soundstage insider episode but this week we're also talking to emerald fennell the writer and director of salt burn on in the envelope so check that out too so That's enough from me for now. Here's our interview with Linus Sandgren. Hey, Linus, how's it going? Hi, Jamie. Good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Good, Great to meet you. I'm really excited to talk to you today because I saw Saltburn yesterday. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, you did? And I'm still recovering, (laughs) still processing. (laughs) (laughs) How do you think about watching it again? Like... Because I feel like uh, I hear that people feel like it's fun to, when you have seen it, it's like, oh, I wonder how it would be to see it again now when I sort of have seen it, basically. No, the story, I think you may get another experience from a second view, actually. 100%. I thought the same thing. Watching it on second and third time and seeing, you know, because I know there's so much layering to it. I know there's so many so much depth because we spoke to emerald a few weeks ago and you know i hadn't seen it at that point and uh this was for another podcast and uh now that i've spoken to her and i've spoken to a few people and seen it there's so much more depth to it and i'm i'm so excited to talk to you about it just to give you a heads up this podcast is all about the behind the scenes talent in film tv production so this is for those people and i really want to talk to you about your process and obviously culminating of course in talking about saltburn um but to kick things off i'd love to know how you got into this industry and how you got to the point of doing the kind of work that you do i had a look at your imdb and it's all cinematographer director of photography cinematographer director of photography all the way back to 2000 so was that always the thing the focus for you that you wanted to do it doesn't look like you transitioned from anything else it was that was always the one thing i feel like um it it kind of became that i guess but it wasn't necessarily the focus because i was always you know as a kid i was always like i made like super eight movies this is like in the 80s 
uh, with my friend. We were doing drawing cartoons. We were making stuff like play, playing that way. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, I'm going to become a, a filmmaker. But I also had a father who was, uh, um, he worked with distribution of film and um, uh, he went, you know, around the world on film festivals buying uh, film for S Swedish Scandinavian uh, markets. Not that I thought of it as anything special. I, I didn't reflect over it really other than that. I know that I obviously had um, a lot of, I was exposed to a lot of films, uh, which were all sort of art house generally. And it was all kinds of films, but it was a lot of like, you know, I saw a lot of films as a young uh, teenager, like um, all, all the Kurosawas or Kislovsky or, you know, uh, he imported like Almodovar. It was all kinds of films of great quality that happened to be, you know, on VHS in my house or uh, I went to see in the cinemas with him. But I never thought, reflected over it as something that would introduce me into working with movies because he kind of did it in my world. He was more like um, working in an office, you know, in, in Stockholm and, and sure, he had a creative job, but um, I, I was more into maybe illustration and photography because I did draw a lot and I did photography sort of like was part of my interest too. I did all of that kind of stuff instead of sports in a way, I guess. Like it, it was like I had more of a those kind of interests, but I, was, I, was, I wasn't sure when I was like coming out of um, uh, school and stuff what, what I was going to do. I, I, I for one thought of you know, go getting into more of like biology because I also loved that kind of thing or nature and or uh, illustration. I got into more sort of illustration uh, school for for a moment, but I also um, was advised to find experience in film. Uh, you know, like experience to get into sort of the bigger classes for, for illustration. So I was more into like that kind of art school, but but then I I I got a job as an assistant to a photographer to two photographers that uh, did uh, you know they processed uh, black and white they 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 did uh, portrait photography in black and white a lot of, lot of black and white but also a lot of color and I learned a lot from them uh, I think um, in in both uh, the excitement over being sort of a freelance working with photography. So that was kind of my introduction to it first, but then, and I and I decided kind of that oh I'm just going to pursue this instead of art school, and did for for a little bit, but they, they couldn't keep me there, or they split up basically. And then I got a job as a driver on on a movie, and when I got onto a film set for the first time, I was just blown away by the sort of magic in being in inside that bubble of what film. What, what a film set is. And I was perfectly fine and happy being a PA, actually. I, I thought it was really exciting to just be part of the filmmaking. So I think, which I've always had been sort of, I always loved movies and I loved different types of movies. I could appreciate like, I could appreciate uh, silly comedies or, or horror movies or cheaper horror movies, but also anything that felt like it was cinema and, 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 that took you, uh, you know, on an escapade. Right? It's like it's the escapism itself is um, lovely, and working inside of an escapistic sort of situation, like a world, especially if it's a costume drama or something that is a little more magical than just completely naturalistic, it's uh, it's just exciting. And so, I was really just excited to be part of 
making films and being a PA, but I, I was gravitating towards camera because of my experience of the, so almost all in, always had an interest for the visual part of things like illustration photography in film as well. The sort of visual perhaps was more my thing in the filmmaking, what I could be perhaps better at than writing or making sound, you know, or the sound, or I was more naturally interested in the visuals because I always, I'm always interested in looking at things. I'm, I'm observing a lot of things all the time. Like I would look at the skies. I would remember what skies we had last night, you know, that kind of thing. I, I would look at people, see their expressions. I, I'm kind of interested in visual things, but, but I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be a cinematographer. How do I get there? You know, I, I didn't have that as a motor in myself. I, I was more excited to be part of things. And if I may be a clapper loader on this film, I would be excited to be on the camera department and so on. And I slowly did different things like that until I went to, actually to film school where I, I chose to do more in the cinematography in the short films we did. And, and I focused a little more on that. But again, I was perfectly happy getting out, being a focus puller, um, and I worked for as a focus builder for a while. And um, but we did music videos in the '90s uh, for MTV Europe and in Sweden. And I, I stumbled upon uh, opportunities to, you know, after I shot short films to shoot some music videos. And then I shot a lot of music videos and was really excited. And that that's when I became sort of a cinematographer. And basically in 1999, I just decided like uh, I was doing both. I basically made my earning in <laughs> as a focus builder, but I. I felt like, well, this is just too fun to not pursue. So I decided to just tell everybody that I was no longer a focus puller and see what happens. And I, I luckily could keep shooting music videos and, and so on. And yeah, so, so it kind of, I didn't have a clear, ever a clear uh, goal really, but I, I, in retrospect, like when I look back at it, I feel like it was kind of natural that I gravitated towards uh, cinematography could have been production design too honestly because i really love production design you know building stuff and so the two of them and i think is, is is something that i could have accidentally got into that instead i don't know i'm fascinated to hear about the transition from still photography to cinematography it strikes me because i i have a sort of side passion interest in photography and when you're a photographer you have ultimate full control over the framing and that you know you can even get in there afterwards with photoshop and tweak and tweak and tweak but with moving images <laughs> you have to relinquish a certain amount of control right because the subject's moving the camera's moving yeah was that a transition for you or is is that is it the same does it feel the same to you when when working in both of those mediums no i uh, it's a great challenge i think i mean there's this great challenges to both because a perfect still image is also incredibly delicate to watch. Like I, I mean, when you see a, a perfect still image where you capture so much emotion in just one frame, that's also a, an extreme um, talent uh, by the photographer. Or it takes a lot to make a great photograph as well. But the the challenge that I liked with cinematography is related to that. That like, how do you then light? a scene when the camera perhaps moves through uh, a world. So you need to light in a in three dimensions in another way because it's not just for that composition that you have in the still frame. And that takes another 
level of challenges. But also what's in, interesting with that, I think, is how you can sort of use it for the for the storytelling, right? So like from A to B in a scene, the light may even change and there's opportunities that he can walk through a, a, a room and he goes into shadows and it ends on a close-up in silhouette or, you know, like w- whatever you want to tell with the emotionally in the film or however you want the film t- to be um, or the story to be told, you alter and sort of the lighting throughout the space uh, if you do a dolly track uh, through it with with the character. But um, so I think that is exciting to me. It's just like part of my puzzle solving way of being too, where I kind of, uh, I like those kind of challenges too. It, it's complicated. It could be complicated actually for for anyone, for, for all of us sort of that when we make films that you can light the room, right? Or whatever, but to design it for w- what the story is about and related to because even a still image i mean the, what similarities is the still image should obviously when you watch it you should feel something and the same with i think cinematography should be that um sometimes you may think that cinematography is just like that you show what's going on and it looks like this because um, it's a day scene so the sun comes through the windows and it becomes what it becomes but i think you need to do mo- more work to it. You need to like always decide how much light is coming in and why, and what does that mean for the language of our film? Because you create a language for the film. And so with your language for the film, you need to then, for each shot, decide what you want to tell with it. How should it feel? Or what do we want to reveal emotionally here? And I think it should be emotionally connected to the story more than literally telling what's going on and actually in a way that's kind of the difference between i think maybe production design and costume design which is very connected to character you may explain a lot about the character in production design or costume design like i think and also colors obviously it's sort of mood of the film but in the cinematography i think it shouldn't be anything but like what sort of the music does to the movie like um if it is it sets the mood, visual mood, just like the music sets the audio mode mood, and that the visual mood when you watch the film without sound, you should still feel and uh, what you want them to feel. <laughs> you know, like it's it's impactful. It's like if it if you don't consider it, you may get the wrong signal to the audience, right? So to me, that's the key. It's like to always make sure that you know what you why you're using the colors, the light, the framing that you do. And that's why it becomes like, it becomes like one big long sort of, it's almost like engineering in a way too. I guess you need to love engineering a bit as well to make a film, whatever you do in the film. I think you need to have a, a bit of that, like where you, you love um, puzzles because it's a lot about that too. And, 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 and that's, what's exciting for me too, between different films is that it's not like I have a way of doing things um, or a, a, a way that I want things to look like because I feel like I I obviously have a taste, but I, I feel like I, I want the script to tell me how the film should look, look like. And then we dig into it together with the director. You, you sort of discover, find words for 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 what this story needs and you start to build sort of themes and metaphors 
that dictates eventually what you're going to use, why, how you're going to light it, when, and why, and all of these things will then later on apply to the film. Hopefully you you connect your the language you decided, you connect to the scenes. Um, and if you if you're unlucky, perhaps you forgot that, oh, I should have thought of this, you know, like in this scene would have been better to do it that way, you know. But hopefully you have a solid language that makes uh, sort of the journey through the film um, emotionally connected, you know? Yeah, well, no, it it really doesn't. It it really makes sense in relation to this movie particularly because, like I say, I watched it yesterday and it has such intellectual and emotional depth. You know, there's, there's a lot of layers to this thing, right? So further from your description of the discussion with the director when talking about a new project, what was that process like with Emerald when when you talked about this? What was that early stage like? Well, first of all, her script is is very visual. Actually, the way she writes and describes things in the script is visual itself. Like scenes that are unique that we kind of haven't really seen before or disturbing are visually exp- expressed enough to get like when you're reading you really feel you you can really see images of it right and i really love this the, the script being sort of a mystery that unveils unfolds slowly as well um where you don't really know where where it's going what what kind of film it's going to become and these things obviously complicates things it's just like when you talk about a film now you need to be careful not revealing too much but <laughs> But you know, like it's the same with one when you're shooting this film, it's like you don't want to reveal too much or the wrong things, but you also want to give out um different feelings and, and there's like hints when I, like the, clues. Yeah. Yeah. And the first time we talked, you know, um Emerald obviously she wrote the film, she had thought about the uh, this story and created um created sort of this story about um desire and obsession and friendship and love and it's sort of she wanted it to feel like sensual and a combination of it all it's sort of the beauty and the ugliness and and the grossness and the sexiness at the same time and there were many many things she in the very first call mentioned to me that just made me feel like well she's very bold and she has there's no limits uh, in terms of how expressive this could be, and I feel like if she wanted it to be expressive and and sort of baroque, and that that was sort of the initial discussions made me feel like really that she's such a confident uh, uh, filmmaker and knows what she's looking for, and I feel like as a cinematographer you want that you want you want sort of a really strong uh, intention. And it could be expressed like with a lot of references from the director. I don't mind, or it could be with very little, uh, you know, references and still be powerful as long as the sort of intent from the director is 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 precise and solid. I can help with ideas, and she has ideas, and we. But in this case, she's very visually uh, sort of. I mean, she she knows so much. She's a cineast. She knows so much about classic cinema, about silent movies, about Hitchcock, about everything um, in film history. 
And so for her, it was natural. She, she naturally pulled up, you know, references like that, uh, as well as uh, you know, uh, biblical uh, sort of imagery and and gothic uh, themes. And and once we started working on the film, we went very much into talking about how we could design the language so that it was. So, so that it could accommodate all these different feelings she wanted. So it, it needed to feel sensual and sexy and ugly and beautiful in, in sort of the sense of the people and intimate and emotional and sad and, and all these things. At the same time, you want to earn the audience trust, you know, like um, when you come to these scenes that are more uh, strong, <laughs> As well, I feel like you you can't just come with them. It's like when we did La La Land, for example, we discussed that a lot too. Like when we had dance sequences, how do we do the normal scenes? Should they just be normal? Or yeah. to, to an extent, you kind of need it. We felt like we want to heighten the reality in La La Land for, for, for letting the audience allow us to dance, start to dance and sing, right? So you kind of have always a little bit of a heightened reality so it doesn't get too jarring to get into the other stuff. And in this as well, we where, wherever the film is leading to and sort of the go- more gothic t- themes that are the core of the feelings, I feel like, in the film was a strong, that was a strong visual metaphor, was sort of a vampire-esque. Metaphorically, I feel like it's a vampire story from both sides, from all sides. It's like lots of people are vampires here, but it's like the family is sort of um, as well. But... But with that as a core, we can't just like begin the film completely like that because there's things to reveal, but you could have sort of other themes that are related, uh, but in other type of genres. So that way, maybe, hopefully it could be still connected and not too different, but you mm. could go up and down in the sort of how expressionistic you are versus other ways to be maybe not expressionistic but more like noir or moody in a in a thriller way or in a in a i mean you could say like if if something like clute or i don't know seven or something's like a noir thriller movie that is still connected to nosferatu you know like in, in the 30s which is a horror movie but it's it has a relation and i think in the same way here we we very much used, I think, paintings as like visual references and um, for for sort of the different moods in the film and, and light and compositions. And that's where we started to feel like the 133 fitted us as a common sort of aspect ratio throughout the film helps to, as one thing, keep it all together, right? Like with, with the different scenes. But in that type of composi- framing, you could do those sort of painterly compositions that could be both silent movie compositions, uh, Nosferatu horror movies, or it could be Caravaggio, Gentileschi, these sort of baroque lighting situations with lots of headroom. And it could also be com- comical compositions with uh, lots of headroom and, and framing. And you could, uh, or, or like still frames, like portrait photography of, of, of a beautiful sexy man lying in the grass with his armpit um, in your face. So, so you get like sort of, you, you could, I think, utilize that composition uh, method for different genres or different types of emotions. 
And so that was helpful, I think, for us to do 133 for that reason. But also it was, you also have the voyeuristic sort of theme and we're always kind of like surrounding um, Oliver's character, right? And see it from his perspective a lot. And so, yeah, I, I think it's just like that whole thing where you create a language and think carefully about what you can do. But there was a there was a need, I think, for the for for being a little more bold and expressionistic. Um, but at the same time, you didn't want the audience to think it's too stylized, you know. Like, and I think that's where you need to always make sure that you connect. And the actors are obviously very so good, I think, and and helps maintain the emotional things and let lets the camera in under his skin. Yeah, and the the more stylistic elements of the film. I'm thinking the shepherd's pie scene, the curtains. It seems to occur naturally in the film rather than like a like a post stick, right? Yeah. yeah. It could be, right? It could be too much, but because we tried to throughout the film have an almost aesthetic, almost like that, then it's not a big jump in the film yeah. to go there, I think. What was, and I mean jarring in a good way, like a, an, an intentionally provocative way, was the transitions between these sort of grand buildings and vistas and, you know, landscapes almost, and the intensely personal close-ups. And it exaggerates both, right? Having them both in contrast to one another. Did you shoot coverage so you got to maybe pull back a little bit or was it just like we're going in balls to the wall that was um that was sort of the confidence in emerald's way of working where once we had a language decided and we found how to approach the shots whether it should be a wide i think in the film there's a lot of wide shots like wider shots we could see the full body of people and live in it and let that be sort of this theatrical stage composed sort of painterly composed image and if you think of you walking in a, in a museum and you watch different paintings it's like that right it's just like a tableau shot of a of a scene and then um, in some scenes it was a need of close-ups so then we went for close-ups and kind of just like you said meant to be provocative and there was never ever that we shot coverage in the normal sense where you sort of for one for 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 backup or like for for what if you know this doesn't work shouldn't we have just a medium two shot of you know one here and one on him and emerald didn't want that she just she was very confident in what she needed and not that all shots are in the movie but pretty much like very sort of economical in a way and both in sh shooting time right or in in sort of the schedule of a day but but really economical also in the visual storytelling i think that she liked it to be simple so you could sort of let the image be what it is and and then look around and, and find sort of and sometimes not give away too much like i'm thinking of sort of scenes like a silhouette in front of the window with Felix and Farley, that was just like those two shots that are in the film. Um, 
and you didn't want to see everything. It's like you don't want to reveal what's going on. It's like in your imagination more, what, what we leave it to the, the audience to imagine what's going on. And in in other situations and other films, we may have been, you know, on other type of shots, like close up on the faces and see the eyes. But being silhouettes like that, I think, added to the sensation that we were after. You know, it's just like that. It's just like what feels best for this film and the language in this film. And that uh, sort of made made so much sense, I think. Um, yeah. But but it was very much that and and or other scenes like um there's other scenes where we step out like in a profile, we see him in a profile for, for quite some time and it's very emotional. Mm. And nice to see someone from this from from a distance a little bit and not in the angle of the face, but like from the side, is that you you let at least for me, I feel like I feel like I can stand and look at something that is gross or or disturbing easier if I'm not right there, right? But if you're from the side a little bit, you actually may still watch it. Right. And it's up to you to decide how much you can take, but you're also forced to watch it because you're sitting there and we're not letting we're not cutting. So it's things like that that is fun to do. And Emerald has a great sense of that. Even on the shoot days, she would have a great sense of of the tension in the scenes as they're playing out and when to sort of cut and when to for how long to hold on to them and um that's a great sort of musical as thing she has where she's just like it's connected with musicality i think to feel the tension and release of the scenes one thing that may have just been my imagination so correct me if i'm just making this up um yeah. But the dialogue, the dialogue scenes where two characters are talking to each other, I don't know how how to describe this, but almost like the camera felt very like straight on, not necessarily so much over the shoulder and more face to face in a way that I wasn't necessarily familiar with. Am I imagining that or was that a thing? Was that an intentional thing? It was intentional because the... um same with the square format helped with was that if we would have shot this in two for row, it would sort of have had to be almost over the shoulders uh, for the close-ups, you know, like the if they were very close to together as well. But I think being in a square, more square format, so that each shot is sort of focusing on one person in those close-ups felt more intimate it feels like it's you're really in their face right you're really in there and yeah. as well and especially like farley and um oliver in in the um, karaoke scene when they're lying down in the sofa and we're cutting to their faces they're we were really really close to them and it's it's quite um i think it's a little bit like also that feeling of like you're so close it's it's kind of sensual or erotic to be like mm. that intimate and that was definitely a theme as well for the film to play with. Like Emerald played with that all the time. Like, is this a friendly discussion or are they actually hating each other or are they sort of, do they do they fancy each other? Mm. You, know? you should feel all of those feelings and it helps to be closer than over the shoulder. You feel like you're in between them, which is nice. And I, I think there's others, I mean, I feel like you you do that sometimes when you want it, want it to feel more intimate. It's 
you're more in there, like you're you're inside of the dialogue, like inside of the situation. But it it yeah. got, goes together with what we talked about before that either it's sort of a tableau or you're in there, and yeah, and both are for the film. Both both the sort of that you feel when you left the movie theater that you've seen a lot of details and you see a lot of details of of body hair and sweat and uh, everything, but at the same time you have sort of the the more tableau kind of photography. So the that combination, I guess, becomes became our language. Um, yeah. No, I think it was a right observation. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> As we wrap things up here, because we get a lot of people who are interested in the behind the scenes industries of film and TV, what would you say are particular strong traits or skill sets that someone has to have to really succeed as a cinematographer? Well, I think for anyone working in a on a film, I feel like what I feel like is successful in my relationship to others is sort of um, that you're collaborative, really, like an open to open to ideas, but also open to changing because you learn things, right? You learn how things are meant to be, or you learn how to do things. And when you learn how to do things, it's very easy to think that you're you know how things are supposed to be done because you've done it. But it's kind of good also to try to go back with a sort of a blank page and and be open-minded to new ideas as and to other ways of doing things. But but generally I, I think it's like to be collaborative and 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 because it is a collaborative process always and the film becomes not only the directors, it's like it's a combination of the whole team's effort and contribution. And if everyone was open to each other's ideas, it would still be guided by the vision of the the director, but you can all sort of contribute with your part. But it, it's it's about that, like that collaboration to be collaborative, I think. Um, that's a that's a main, I guess. Uh, or curious, curious maybe. And I don't know. It's 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 many things, I guess. It's also to be a you know you need to lead a team of a bunch of people so there's depending on how you like to do that but um i like that whole thing where everyone feels like they're part of it you know that that the crew feels part of it that everyone has sort of they're important you know and and i mean i know as well how it is like to when when you have camera assistant you know you know that you need time you need support as well and um it's not so easy, everything. So you need to be a good um, leader in in whatever you think is the, being a good leader. But I, I think it is to be, you know, to have a happy uh, crew that is uh, that feels like they are part of contributing. And if all communication like that works, and it comes from the top too, like if the director is uh, really uh, pleasant and, and and great, then that becomes like a fun uh, fun shoot where everyone can contribute and make the film better. I think you can yeah you can help. So it goes for everybody, I guess, that that part of it. But uh, other than that, I think it for cinematography, I think is to focus on as well. I think it's focus on the emotional story and not just making pretty images. Because if you're just making pretty images that doesn't relate to the story, they're just pretty, then it's boring because there's many pretty images out there, but they're, they don't make you feel anything. So the shots you create needs to sort of evoke emotions. Yeah, 
Fantastic. And congratulations on Saltburn. It's a beautiful film and very impactful. And like I say, I'm still processing <laughs> 24 hours later. So this was great to speak to you. Thank you so much. Talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Soundstage Insider podcast. Many thanks, of course, to Lena Sandgren. Check out Saltburn, which is out now in select movie theatres, and follow us on social media, Soundstage Insider on Instagram and Soundstage In on X. And I'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. This has been an RPS audio production.